Welcome to the Balkoff Podcast. This week, we have the Asshat Division. Along for the ride, we have our good friend Stuart, myself, Adam, as always, and definitely most appreciated, joined by our, my colleague, Andrew. So Stuart, if you don't mind, give us a quick rundown of your baseball fandom and how you became a fan of the sport in general. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for background, for sure, big Banners fan. I grew up in Seattle. I mean, I'm from Seattle, so watching you know of course like the 2001 team and just playing baseball and understandably a pretty compelling time for someone to be growing up uh (laughs) and getting stuck in and then you know the mariners kind of twist the knife in there i mean my parents always loved to tell the story of you know i was a kid reading the sports section every single day reading stats and you know seeing who's the league leaders and you know triples and all the classic counting stats that we now kind of have transcended, but still value and, and understand their, their place in the game. So just kind of stuck with it and, you know, kind of as through school and just still following the Mariners and following baseball. And obviously, you know, a sports fandom certainly crosses a lot of sports, but with baseball, it, there's just, and especially the Mariners, the background of writers that have written specifically about the Mariners or have a background of Mariners fandom is like insane. I mean, Meg Rowley for sure is like an easy one. Lookout Landing as well is like just the, the only SB Nation fan site still alive as of today. You know, that's a huge one. And the writers that have gone through there is like super impressive. So that's kind of locked me in of like great writing. And there's so much, you can always read something interesting about baseball. And then of course, you know, the sickos content there's always something stupid that's going to go on and and that thing is right i think we'll get it out of the way john boys is you know mariners maybe not be good but they're interesting and that's certainly hey like hell yeah i'm all for it yeah that's great background i mean myself and i could probably speak for andrew as well we're also both pretty avid readers especially back in the day of lookout landing absolutely great site really funny and one of the things that you mentioned, like sometimes it is very stupid. And and my other favorite sport is college football. And I think that there's a lot of kinship between baseball and college football and that in any given moment, something amazing can happen and something incredibly stupid could happen. And oftentimes it does. And that's that's reason enough for me to fall in love with this stupid game. It can be amazing and stupid at the same time, too. Without question. <laughs> Should we roll into the questions? Yep, let's do it. So we have a lot to talk about with the Mariners, especially coming off of last season. But let's get the fun out of the way by talking about Julio Rodriguez first. So last year, he burst on the scene and he put up 5.3 F4 in 132 games. So our first question is a little hyperbolic, but we're going to go for it. Are we watching the next Mariners Hall of Famer? What do you think his ceiling is? And do you think he's a center fielder for his whole career? Yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of for sure that player that, you know, something special always happens. You can just tell that there's like that different aura that comes to the screen. Um, if you're watching him real life, for sure. And then, you know, through the radio even, and we could talk bat speed, all that kind of stuff. But 
when a player is this talented and has this much fun and, you know, it's maybe not, oh man, dude, he ran so quick and took the perfect path for that ball in center field. It's his smiling the entire time. His teammates love him. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, something special, like future hall of famer is definitely a ceiling, which, which really is crazy to think about, right? Like how young he is and can't predict everything. And, and also being a Mariners player, <laughs> you never know, right? I mean, you almost hope it's not like uh, Ichiro, who, what, made the playoffs one, I think, you know, where you're kind of quintessential great player on, on mediocre to poor teams. But like, it really is a Hall of Fame ceiling, I think, coming down to it. And he just had he's, – he's got every tool, too. You know, this, and that's the other thing, too, is he decided to pick up, you know, to become quicker so he can play center field. It's totally legit there. His arm talent's insane. Like, he can gun him down, sure. You can tell he's learning on the fly kind of outfield as well as just how the ball tracks in major league stadiums. But no one's, you know, he's not too slow out there. It's not D. Gordon out there, thank God. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is like, cool. I mean, it, it doesn't, he doesn't have this pressure like Mike Trout does where he has to play center field just to carry the team. He, he can move to a corner outfielder if he loses a step. It kind of maybe depends on the definition of long-term, right? Like he'll be in center for a few years, but I don't think it's not a bad thing if he's going to corner outfielder. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think it's a bad thing if he moves to the corner, both for defensive reasons and also for health reasons. You want to keep him fresh. You want to lessen the toll on his body. Now, I mean, he's not out there running on the turf in Olympic Stadium like Vlad was and couldn't walk by the time he was 35. But I mean, still, just for kind of seeing what like like who you mentioned, you're kind of seeing what Trout's going through now. Like he played center field, stole bases, ran crazy for so long. And now some of those some of those miles are starting to catch up to him. I think you made a good point that's really subtle, that adjustment, especially as an outfielder, from going from playing in one-deck or two-deck stadiums to three-deck stadiums. I thought that that was a really savvy thing to mention. And this kind of goes along with how we were talking about Tatis last week, Adam, uh, thinking about like that it factor. Like He's the engine that makes the train go. Like He's the locomotive, and he brings everybody else with him. So it's one of those things where he's the guy that makes the team go. So there was that little stretch in the middle of the season where he was out. And I don't, I don't have offhand what the Mariners record was during that time, but you can imagine that losing that not only at those at bats and his quality in center field, but also his like juice in the, in the dugout. I mean, that's really a lot of what he brings to not just being a great player, but being a great guy and, you know, leading the way. Totally. I mean, we could say glue guy and be obnoxious, but for sure. I mean, it, it is impressive just the presence he brings and it is such an intangible thing, but it's it's awesome when people do clearly like make a mark in this, you know, incalculable ethereal animal spirit world of glue guy. It's March. We could definitely say glue guy. March Madness. Yeah. We're coming up to wet guy season though, baby. It's it's almost our time. Yeah, it's it's we're there. We're almost there. Cool. So our second question here is about the rest of the offense. The Teoscar and Hernandez trade, I think we both like Adam and I. It was an interesting move and another guy that, you know, maybe in the shuffle in Toronto, you don't really think of him as like a stud, but then you you have him coming over and you also have four players here in this projected lineup that we post in our little doc. Uh, and then po- folks can look up on roster resource that are projected to be a league average or above league average in their OBP. So the thing is, the rest of the lineup isn't going to get on base as often, and some are not going to get on base at all and just hit 
homers like our King Big Dumper, Cal Raleigh. So we know that they're going to hit a lot of home runs, but are you worried about the rest of the offense that they're kind of a maybe a feast or famine sort of a team a little bit other than maybe Julio? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, thinking about that, what, what comes to me, comes to mind for me is, is run sequencing. You know, so it always felt like, you know, you'd say the, the most clutch team, clutch factor, but always was like, man, they need a homer here or they need a hit because they finally got a guy on second base or maybe third base and they're always able to get it. I really, again, you know, hey, regression to the mean, I don't think that's going to happen this year. Maybe I'm just trying to really have realistic expectations, but it, it's good they made moves with the bats. You know, Teoscar is, is, could be good. And I think that trade is really kind of, uh, you know, the more it goes on, we'll see if you get burnt by Adam Mako, who has some great movement on his uh, breaking pitches, but it's not like they're, I mean, also he has one year left too, to be fair. But, you know, you also move for Colton Wong, who you're, <laughs> you hope is not Adam Frazier. I was thinking about him and I was like, man, he had a 268 Babbitt last year, which is disgusting. 81 WRC plus, like putrid stats. So, you know, I, I think there's been some plugging of the holes, but I really, I really don't want to place too much expectations on them. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think they for sure, you know, if they hit their upside, yeah, less, less famine, but um, it, it, I would, don't, don't have high expectations. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You kind of hit on, on a lot of the things that I was thinking about too, and I really like your hit sequencing comment as well. I mean, sometimes teams just find a way to have the right hit at the right time. Maybe they have a stretch throughout the game where they have one base hit and 15 15 batters and then whenever they get a walk and a a single the next guy hits a three-run home run and everything's fine so um, i don't know if that's necessarily sustainable or something that you can lean on throughout the year but i mean if we're looking at at least in my opinion perhaps the one potential achilles heel for this team it's probably like the fifth spot in the order and down and just hoping that they can give you some consistent offense yep Totally agree. As a Mets fan, I have to talk about Jared Kelenic. It looks like he's having a good spring. So we'll see if he can become, especially because he's a very good outfielder, if he can become kind of a consistent player in there in a kind of platoon situation with either Swam Haggerty or Dylan Moore. We'll see how they they kind of go with that in the outfield. Up next, let's move to the pitching staff. So arguably a top three rotation in the American League. I think you have the Yankees and Astros probably in there, maybe somewhere in the top two, and then probably the Mariners right alongside with them. The bullpen looks really good, albeit maybe a bit by committee towards the back end. Do you think the pitching will be strong enough to mask any potential offensive deficiencies? Yeah, I think they're generally roster construction-wise, you're looking at what you got last year, which is can the offense pull through enough to get the one-run, two-run win? The big thing is, is let's hope, Chris Flexen starts and Marco Gonzalez isn't. He's been really, really questionable to say the least in spring training. And I know, hey, okay, that doesn't mean regular season performance, but you saw this dramatic decline. He wasn't on the playoff roster last year. He's really fallen down. And so I hope Flexen's there. But the rest of the starting rotation, I mean, it's kind of amazing just to be a Mariners fan and be like, the rest of the rotation is amazing. Robbie Ray, I've got less questions about. I mean, it really is just how, how to, again, regression to the mean on injuries. So with that, I mean, you kind of have some, I think the big thing when I look there is 
How do some upper level prospects move for pitchers? How fast moving are they? And you can't really lean on Tommy Maloney in AAA for, you know, fourth or fifth year in a row. And the bullpen, you know, I mean, I don't know how deep you want to go on that, but I've seen enough data points from Jerry DePoto and his bullpen construction to not be as concerned on that because he's managed year over year with huge roster churn and the bullpen, you know, changing who's going to play what. They all are on the same page and they're all aligned as to what exactly, you know, their role is. You know, they, they talk about how each guy knows that they're going to be facing X part of lineup, whether that's the eighth or the ninth inning, and that really you've seen a ton of success because it still gets you that that predictability. You know, okay, hey, that closer used to know that they're always coming in on the ninth inning, and now doesn't matter. Hey, I know I'm going to face you know the the heart of the order. Paul Sewell talked about that. Munoz, Andres Munoz is going to talk. You know, he's good about that. So I'm less concerned about it. There's going to be variation, bullpens, you know, relievers, that kind of stuff, but. Again, I mean, we don't have eleven million dollar contract sent to Mark Shipsinski, so we're 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 pretty happy. Yeah, I like what you said about that. It might be a little bit by committee, and I'm really interested in the Flexen versus Gonzalez thing. I I think I was thinking that they might trade Flexen, especially because he was so consistent last year. But I think you want to operate from a position of strength, especially in the rotation. It's better to have six guys that can go than five. And I think in the little bit of spring training I've been able to watch so far with the Mariners, they were talking about how Andres Munoz may have added another pitch and that he's just absolutely nasty. Now he's got a two-seamer and a four-seamer that both move and are both over 98 miles an hour. So good luck against him. Yeah, it's it's disgusting. I mean, the Flexen is Munoz is insane. Flexen for sure has been the trade baitiest trade bait there is. You know, I my take is it's he should be pitching. I think he's on a great contract and get him out there. Like I think he just needs to be pitching for the Mariners because Gonzalez is. Oh, it's it's tough to say because he's you know kind of that. Oh, every fans love to rally around him, but reality is with expectations in the season, which is again. You know, hey, there is an expectation of success that, you know, what what has to happen has to happen. Yeah, it's sad when a club legend starts to kind of fall off like that. But, you know, exactly what you said is is pretty pertinent, I think. So our, our next question here is about the depth and the prospects. So it doesn't seem like there's a lot going on beyond the act of 26. There's a few interesting non-roster invitees. I was looking at them just now, like Justin Topa in the bullpen and such, but really thinking about how a lot of these trades, especially for Castillo, you know, the the Farm's a little bare other than Harry Ford. And it looks like Adam just added about Adam Mako. So you can definitely talk about him who are a few years away. Are you concerned as a fan that one big injury or two, especially to a superstar like Julio or something like that were to happen, that it could put a damper on the the season and the good vibes from last year? Is that a concern of yours? Sure. I mean, I think it's kind of where, you know, where is the injury? Up the middle is kind of the worst case scenario. Like, Dylan Moore starting shortstop is uh, not the words you want to hear. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think, it, you know, beyond the, the laughing joke, uh, it's, you know, how much do you expect, how much do you lean on, you know, the uh, swaggy ham himself and Dylan Moore to hit what they did last year? They had great seasons. You know, I think it kind of shows that they have a higher floor, but, Absolutely. I agree. We, you know, I think 
that major injury, season ender injury, you know, that's when you do have an issue with the depth. Spot starts though, and certainly filling in, and they're going to get playing time, which is fine. I, I, I'm less concerned on that, and I always just feel like there's triple A filler enough. It also is like this is where you know you trade away that form to bring those contending pieces to get Luis Castillo. I think overall that farm the farm system for the Mariners for sure now is weak up the middle when you trade away two shortstops or a shortstop on a third baseman, whatever your Nobu Marte take is. But they still drafted, I forget their name, but they still drafted another shortstop. I mean, Harry Ford for sure. So you kind of get this next wave rising through along with, uh, you know, those pop pitchers coming through. Prelano Barroa, Justin Topa, Emerson Hancock still in the minors. He was a first round draft pick. I mean, we can kind of go on like Mariners and pitching hand in hand. That development's been very, very impressive. Yeah, I think those are great points. And I mean, listen, this isn't necessarily a problem that's unique to the Mariners or a potential problem that's unique to the Mariners. I mean, we just saw it with the news, what, yesterday with Austin Slater with the Giants going down. I mean, that's going to kind of tinker with a lot of their uh, platoon options they're trying to go through. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you said in there that, that I completely agree with is that this team does have a very high floor. I don't think that there is much crater potential, but the high-end potential, I think, is definitely affected by the performance from certain key guys, especially like the back end of the rotation and the five spot, you know, some of the position players. And and yeah, I mean, there there are options in the minor leagues to fill in for a week and a half, take a couple starts, this and that. I think every team is able able to withstand that. But yeah, to your point, like if Julio goes down or if, you know, God forbid, like you said, JP goes down, Colton goes down, something like that. Then I think it's going to get pretty dire to a team that's already kind of, at least in my estimation, a little iffy on the offensive side. It can always crater, though. Got to gotta remember that for the Mariners. Yeah. It can always, there is no floor. Unfortunately. The sock is real. The sog is real. Don't forget yeah, to shoot. World Baseball Classic year, especially. Yeah, good, good call out. All righty. The AO West, a.k.a. the Hat Division, as I affectionately refer to it as, should be very interesting this year. I think that probably behind the AL East, this is the most interesting one to me, just because I think in the NL West, you kind of have your top two, and those are pretty much set, just depends on how they finished. Very similar with the NL East. You kind of have your top three teams, kind of expecting them to make the playoffs, but you know that there's a clear separation. In the AL West, you kind of have the Astros that are thought of by fan graphs, zips projections by a lot of people that they're pretty much the class of it. And looking at their roster, it's hard to disagree with that. After that, the projections for both for all of the Mariners, Angels and Rangers are relatively similar in playoff odds. As it pertains to the Mariners, I have two prompts for you. A, the 2023 Mariners will challenge the Astros and or make a deep run if blank and B, the 2023 Mariners will be in a fight for a wild card spot if blank. Yeah, I mean, the high-end scenario, if they're challenging the Astros or, and or making a deep run, I think that's, you know, got to have health. Health in the lineup particularly. Again, pitcher health I'm a little less concerned on. Teoscar Hernandez hitting his high-end Julio as well. That's, that's every you know, kind of like last year. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's for sure outperforming the projections. And then also you get hot at the right time in the playoffs because a little less to do with regular season generally. I, I think for a wild card spot, you know, it's as long as the classic Mariners season doesn't occur where, you know, oh man, suddenly people aren't hitting, a couple injuries, you losing streaks here and there. I think on that too, it's 
this one is kind of where I, I hope and, and feel like they'll be in just by hitting kind of uh, baseline expectations. You know, it, for sure, if the AL West ends up being a little weaker, you know, Angels and Rangers are trying, but if they don't quite hit there with their depth with those teams or, you know, again, hey, maybe another injury or something, we never know. Um, hopefully not. I think that kind of really puts them in a spot where, you know, you run into some division games, get a few more wins right at the right time. So that's kind of my take is probably around there, hopefully. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I really think a lot of it's going to come down to, at least quite frankly, how the teams play against each other. And I know obviously they're the 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 schedules are a little less unbalanced than they have been in years past. But I mean, when you're talking about the ranking, the stack ranking in the AOS, it's going to come down to basically how the Mariners, Angels and Rangers play against each other and also how the Astros fare against those teams, too. I mean, more than likely, you're thinking the Astros are probably going to win the season series against the other three. But who knows, maybe if the Angels have their numbers, their number this year, maybe the Mariners, you know, just smoke them at home on on the back of energy and emotion and Julio and, and stud pitching. I mean, it could really kind of throw the balance of the AL West, you know, end over end. So I'm like, I'm incredibly excited to watch this division this year and not and not only because my team is in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's it's a division where all the teams but one are trying that makes a huge difference and certainly you know spending in free agency and again like their fan sentiment is they need to be doing they should have done more in free agency and i i agree but it still is they're clearly trying to win and, and making moves to that effect and same with the angels and rangers and obviously the astros like jeez disgusting such a such a stacked team and with that we're going to move on to our over under game so the Mariners won 90 games last year. The AOS has gotten a bit better. So for the first one, we're going to set the over under for 88 and a half wins for the Mariners this year. What say you, Stuart? Oh, I say under. Fool me 21 times. You won't fool me again. <laughs> I really, I really, I'm going to go under. I am also going to take the under. Give me the over. Ooh. How many did they have last year? 90. Yeah, probably 90 again. 89, 90. And then the other one we have here is Julio is projected on Fangraph's war to have 5.9. What say you, Stuart? Do you think he will be over that or under that? I'm going to go over. And, and you know what? Let's go Let's go over for Jared Kelnick as well. We'll go with, we'll say it's JK season, baby. He, you know what? Four wins. Let's let's just go all in on the on the player performance. He's projected for one point one. So, <laughs> okay. I am also going to take the over. Give me the over too. Ooh, He's clean stuck. sweep. That concludes our Mariner section. We want to thank Stuart so much for being here with us, and we will move on. Thank you so much, Stuart. Have a good one, man. Thank you, guys. Have a great one. Bye, right, man. All right, our next team is the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, and it's time for me to explain myself. Adam, why don't you do the in and out, and then I will explain myself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can very easily do this because I am excited to hear this. Uh, on the inside, we have Hunter Renfro, Brandon Drury, Gio Urshela, Brett Phillips, Tyler Anderson, Carlos Estevez, again, not related to Emilio, and Matt Moore. On the outside, we have Michael Lorenzen, Tuki Toussaint, and Matt Duffy. So this was a 73-win team last year and has gotten significantly better, at least in my opinion, this offseason. You, Andrew, 
have been quite vocal the past couple of weeks about the Angels. You believe that they will be one of the worst teams in baseball and perhaps fighting for the worst overall record. Explain yourself. Okay, so I put some notes here or two notes. So I feel like there are some teams in sports that are cursed. The Sacramento Kings are one of them, for instance. The Toronto Maple Leafs in a different way because they're playoff stuff. The Mets were this way for a long time. Even last year, they won 100 games. They blow the division at the end. They blow the wild card series against the Padres. Some teams are just kind of cursed. I feel like the Angels are one of those teams. Sure, they have a championship with the Monkees and all, you know, that coolness. What was that? 2 Yeah. John Lackey. Yeah. John Lackey. Like- yeah. Tim Salmon, Garrett Anderson, Troy Glouse, Troy Percival, K-Rod. Yeah, that was a... That was a really interesting Adam Kennedy, like going off and hitting like three yeah. home runs in one playoff game. Like that was a very like kind of mediocre team that just got wildly hot. Like and maybe maybe my memory is is lying to me that, that they were better than I remember them as. But yeah, I mean, looking just thinking of names, it's like huh, David Eckstein. All right. I mean, he was fun, but like <laughs> it doesn't sound like that should be a 99 win team. That sounds like a right. team. Now, in fairness, I think a lot of the rest of the division that year was absolute garbage. I know my team was. Yeah, I'm looking at that now. Anyway, let's not talk about the 20, 2002 Angels. Let's talk about the 2020 <laughs> Angels. So I'm going to cover some stuff that we'll probably talk about in more detail in a few minutes. I think that a lot of these players are injury prone on this team. I really worry about even some of the guys that they just signed this offseason staying healthy, like especially Rendon, the, just the history of him. Like he's been, they were talking on the broadcast. I was watching Valley Sports West uh, through MLB TV a couple of days ago. Wayne Rendazzo, who's the Mets radio guy with Howie, is now there. So shout out, Wayne. Hope you're listening. It's a, it's a thing where he's being talked about like as the comeback player of the year this year because he missed almost all of last year. He's already won that award because he missed a full season another time when he was with the Nationals. So it's that was to- yeah that was after the 2015 season. Yes. I want to say he broke his like wrist or, or um, maybe an ankle or something and broke his hand or something. Yeah, crazy. he yeah, broke yeah. something, but yeah. So maybe they're freak injuries, but it's still an injury history that really frightens me. And especially now, like Trout is also getting injured, and he's I mean he's not old. He's 30. He's going to be 32 during the season. Like he's still elite, but I just really worry about that. And honestly, we're going to talk more in detail about the pitching staff. The six pitchers thing is probably the best for Shohei, especially if he's going to hit most other days and the days that he pitches now, which is a great rule that I'm glad that they have. But I mean, Tyler Anderson was one of those magic mean sort of players for the Dodgers. I worry about the regression to the mean there. I really think I'd like Reed Detmers's uh, ceiling, but I really worry about that too. And honestly, the bullpen, it's just kind of guys, in my opinion, Carlos Estevez, you like probably more than I do. Maybe I think of him worse because he was in chorus for all those years and gave up a lot of runs and his ERA was a little ballooned because of that. But I don't know, man. I worry about some of the health of these guys. I just, I worry that it could like spiral out of control in like mid-August and they're in that position, like where the White Sox were last year, where they just don't get it on a roll in a way that puts them in a position to uh, challenge for a wild card spot and they fall like, 75 73 wins again like they did last year even though they have more talent than they had obviously on the roster this year than last year so that's where i'm at with thinking about it it's a combination of cursed my concerns with the the pitching and injury risk here so if they stay healthy 
and the pitching staff comes together, they could definitely be in the same sort of realm with the Mariners in that 87, 86, 88 win range. But I don't think that that's going to happen. In a, in, there's a realm where it does, but I just don't personally buy into that realm. You don't think that we live in that realm? No, I don't think we ever will with the Angels, to be honest. <laughs> that's fair. All right. I'm not going to respond to that just because a couple of the, the next questions I have kind of outline my reasoning why I disagree. But I will say that that explanation was a bit softer than the way that you portrayed your opinion previously. So I also just don't like the Angels for some reason. I don't even know why. I just don't like I don't know. It's, it's not. It's, I like it's one of those teams where I like the requisite players, but I don't like the vibe. I don't maybe I have something against the logo. I don't know. Typical New York elitist, man. Just hating on Otani. Yeah. All right. So let's get into these these things that you outlined. One, the injury thing. I can't discount that. But on paper, this has a chance to be a really, really good offense, in my opinion. Ward is pretty underrated at the top. I think Drury and Renfro were really good acquisitions. Renfro, he strikes out a lot. He doesn't get on base a lot, but he hits for power and he plays incredible corner defense. Uh, Drury, he's... You can kind of deploy him in any number of spots. He's not a fantastic defender at any of them, but when healthy, especially last year, he had kind of a career year. I mean, I think he can he can replicate that to a degree. He's kind of a stud. He's kind of a stud. I mean, when he when he hit the grand slam in his first game in San Diego, that was pretty that was, that was pretty live. Cool. That yeah. was cool. I'm excited to see Logan Ohapi behind the dish. Otani, obviously in a class by himself. Trout and Rendon are awesome when healthy. But that's kind of the main question for them and some of these other guys, too. I mean, Ward was hurt a little bit last year as well. Can you expand a little bit on your thoughts on the offense, whether you expect for their for them to remain healthy? If healthy, how do you think that they stack up against other offenses in the, in the league? I hate to keep saying that I expect injuries because I really don't like the vibe of saying that. But I just think that I worry about that like I was already talking about. I do like what they've done here. I, I really like already interrupted you about Drury. I like him. He had mm. that weird, like he had eye issues. He was with the Yankees. It was just not a good fit for his style of game. And then when he was with the Mets a couple of years ago, he was like just hitting as a pinch hitter against lefties because they didn't have a spot for him. And then finally last year with the Reds on an absolutely hor- horrendous team, he was awesome and gets mm-hmm. straight to San Diego. So I do expect some stuff from him. I don't know if he's a second baseman. We can get into the defense here. It's kind of vibes-based defensive positioning. <laughs> Maybe the outfield is pretty good, but I mean, Rendon is good when he's healthy, but the rest of it, I'm a little worried. Jared Walsh is fine. I don't really think first base defense is something to write home about, but yeah, I don't know. Urshela was a nice pickup. I don't think he's ever going to repeat that great year that he had with the Yankees a couple of years ago. However, no. however, he has the same hitting coach now. Oh, the Yankees. So inside information. Yeah. That's what happens when you watch Valley Sports West, baby. (laughs) Was it where uh, where players play or what's their what's their tagline? I don't even know. Are we going to get in trouble if we sing the Valley Sports song? I guess they're going bankrupt, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. What are they what are they going to do? I mean, yeah, no. I mean, those are fair points and all of that. I mean, I'm just I'm just looking at this lineup and Jared Walsh had a pretty solid year last year and he's betting seventh. Luis Renjifo is not a slap hitter. I mean, he's a shortstop. He's not an, he's not Carlos Correa, obviously, but yeah, also quote unquote shortstop, but he's, yeah, but I mean, he's batting ninth. Like you could do far worse than that. The projections are him are 255, 305, 406. I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be 
below league average and doing WRC plus, but from a nine spot, I'd take that. Like, yeah, that's completely fine. Get on base 30% of the time and give me a, give me some extra base hits. Yes, sir. Yeah. The Gio or the Gio Urshela signing is interesting. David Fletcher after signing the extension and kind of moving more into like a super utility role, I think that'll be very interesting as well. You know, being able to fill in for Drury at second, fill in for Renhifo, spell maybe at the DH or or move someone to DH, move Rendon to DH on certain days or on days where uh, after Otani pitches and he's not playing at all. I mean, I think there's, I actually kind of like the roster construction and the flexibility that you have here. Um, but yeah, he's been I mean, without power, by the way. David oh Floyd. yeah, he yeah he cannot hit the ball out of the infield. Like I I know he can, but like he does not hit the ball hard at all. But yeah, I mean you're right that the only thing the only issue that the offense comes down to is staying healthy. Defense is kind of questionable in some spots, kind of good in some spots, great in some spots. But I mean it's going to come down to whether they can get an average of like 130 games from you know the 12 guys, 13 guys, you know, non-pitchers. Moving over to the rotation and the pitching staff as a whole, the rotation was actually pretty solid last year. They were they walked a lot of people, but besides that, their ranks amongst the league were pretty, pretty solid, like top 10 for quite a few of them. Now, Otani probably had a lot of input on that, but I mean, it's not like we're walking into a terrible rotation. The rest of their options behind Otani and Tyler Anderson, who I really like as a signing, even if he does fall back to earth a little bit, are young and interesting. I think that there's a step forward for Sandoval, Suarez, and Detmers. And then if they do stick with the six man, I kind of like Davidson, you know, Tucker Davidson at the back as well. I mean, I don't think he's anything incredible, but my stance on their pitching is I think the six man is while something we don't see often in Major League Baseball, it's something that could work for this team. You're asking for fewer innings from all of your starters. You're help keeping them fresh. Whenever they do pitch, because they're a little fresher, if you need them to, to give you maybe that last inning, you can kind of stretch it a little bit in the right situation. Um, you're not overexposing people. I think it sets up well for the group that they have here because behind Otani and Tyler Anderson, they're all young. I think the oldest one's like 26. So you're really kind of giving them time to get into being a starting pitcher in baseball. Not that Sandoval Suarez and Detmers don't already have some of that experience from last year, but you're not putting a ton of pressure on them to take the ball every fifth day. So for all of those reasons, I think that there's something here. I think that we can be kind of, we can kind of project maybe a fringy top third, you know, rotation. What is the main issue with this group for you? I think you laid it out really nicely. I kind of agree with almost everything you said. I I don't think I'm down on the six man as a bad idea. I just, I think it works for a team like this, especially when you have six guys like this. And they also have Griffin Canning, who still might be something down in the minors. And they have yep. Urea, who has started in the past as the long man. So you have seven guys who, or maybe even eight that, in a pinch can start and be kind of major league average or slightly below major league average, which is I think good. So I don't know. I don't, other than Tyler and the concern that Tyler Anderson won't be as great as he was with the Dodgers and Reed Detmers, the, the injury history kind of scares me, but I mean, he's had some high highs. He's already, he's thrown a no hitter. So he's got to be fair. That no hitter was garbage. Yeah. yeah I kind of <laughs> watching some of it. Was there like a questionable call or something? 
No, it wasn't a questionable call, but there was some, uh, I forgot which Twitter account, but there's basically some metric that was like, it was like expected basis. It's like X goals for baseball, uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it was like in a normal situation, they expect, they expected there to have at least been like six or seven hits in that game. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I remember watching the last couple of innings of that. I don't, I don't remember it vividly, like every, like every pitch, like I would, like if it were the Mets or something like that, but yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I think my concern is just health. I mean, I'm sorry to like not have as strong opinions as I thought I would about this, but I mean, Patrick Sandoval and Jose Suarez might be better than I think. So just kind of coming into this and seeing it and looking at it and being like, okay, what is making me think that this team is worse than their projections and worse than maybe they are going to be. I just think that my, my concern is like the six might work, might not. It's kind of a risk reward sort of prop for me in my mind. I think it, it puts you one down in the bullpen, but I think you can deal with that, especially if you can bring guys up and down. You know, you have the 10 day IL if someone's got a blister or their stomach's upset or, you know, something like <laughs> that, or they drink too many red, red bulls or monsters like the guy on Illinois basketball, you know, you can, can kind of come over that if you want to. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that there's room for growth here and I think that you laid it out nicely. So the, my only disagreement is regression from Anderson uh, and, and health. Yeah, I think we I think we can probably expect some semblance of regression with Anderson. It's a different ballpark. It doesn't play like Dodger Stadium does on certain days. And also on the contrary, it also doesn't. It's also not the launching pad that Dodger Stadium is on certain days, too. So interested to see how that plays out. One interesting note that I kind of just realized right now looking at it. Of the projected rotation, the only righty is Shohei. Yeah, that that frightens me too because you get a team that that has righty power and stuff. It's just it might be trouble. Yeah, like you remember the uh, the like the mid 2010s Blue Jays where they had Edwin Bautista, Tulowitzki, and Donaldson all in a row, all who smashed lefties. Imagine putting, imagine playing a weekend series and you're in like the three, four, five section. Of this. Yeah. At, at Rogers center too, or at sky <laughs> and they go back, they go back to back to back to back against like Jose Suarez. It's like, oh, <laughs> onto the bullpen. So the, you're right. The bullpen last year was not good, but I think that they made a really, really, really good couple of moves here. Matt Moore with the Rangers last year was one of the best pitchers out of the pen in all of baseball. And I really like Carlos Estevez. I know that you have some concerns. I have basically have the the opposite stance that he played for an absolutely disgustingly bad team last year. Not a whole lot of situations where he's being brought in to basically do what he does best, which is close out games. He was good last year. I just worry about the years where he has like a 5.5 ERA, but that might be ballooned because of course. You know what right. I mean? That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he hadn't had a whole lot of opportunities to play on a good team and in a good environment. Now, Angel Stadium is not necessarily a pitcher's park. It's more of a hitter's park, but it's also not Coors. I think that he has the ability to be in more of a more of a groove because he'll be pitching more often in situations that he's been brought there to pitch in. He's not in there pitching just to get some work when he's down eight runs, you know, at 1030 at night in a 17 to seven game. So I think that there's reason to have some optimism for this bullpen, all caveats aside that we talk about pretty much every week. But besides that, what do you think? Can you talk me through the Matt Moore thing that he went from being a highly touted prospect and starter with the Rays to now being like a superstar, 
reliever with a sub two ERA. That was insane. Yeah. So as you know, most know he came up, I want to say in 2010 or 2011, because he pitched in the world, he pitched in the divisional series against the Rangers. And he was like, um, basically amazing. Like in, in his first start in that the playoffs that, uh, that year, typical, you know, raised starter, high nineties, lefty, good breaking ball, good changeup. just kind of didn't work out as a starter bounced around. I know the Rangers signed him a couple years ago to kind of be like a swingman starter, ended up, you know, being a starter out of spring training, got absolutely blasted, got traded again, bounced around, came back to the Rangers last year as a, as a bullpen guy. I don't know what clicked. I don't know if it was pitching fewer innings, pitching shorter stints, consolidating his repertoire, Maybe he just hit that certain age, maybe kind of like Martin Perez did last year. And he just kind of figured it out, figured out his role. But he was filthy last year. I think if I remember correctly, I'd have to go back and someone holler at me if I'm wrong. But I want to say that he went through like his first like two months out of the bullpen last year, two or three months where he had given up like two runs in like 32 innings or something ridiculous like that. Like he was just amazing. And in the offseason, like, I don't know if it was fear of regression is like, Hey, we don't trust him because of his history or whatever. But like you heard almost nothing about him. And like for the longest time, I think it was kind of assumed at least from my perspective and a lot of my friends that, Oh, the Rangers are going to bring him back. Everything's going to be cool, blah, blah, blah. And then he signs with the angels. And at first I was like, okay, it's like not a terrible loss. Like we have Brock Burke back there. Like everything should be fine, but man, it would be nice to have him back there again, you know, this year, because he was so good. And I think for the Angels, considering how their bullpen was last year, that's a hell of a signing because you can fit, you can throw him in. And that was one of the cool things last year is they'd bring him in. So maybe to throw two innings in the middle of the game, they'd bring him in in the seventh, bring him in in the eighth. He, I think he had a couple of of saves last year when they were just like, well, we don't really have anyone else that we trust. Go, go out there and get him." But he's extremely variable throughout the bullpen and, and the situations you can bring him into. And he was just so good and so, you know, so effective out of the bullpen. Well, if he, if he keeps it up and Estevez kind of sorts it out, you have two pieces there. I like loop. He had like his best season of his career when he was with the Mets I just don't know about the rest of this. I I think to Paris kind of, I mean, he's 35. It's, it's getting towards like, you know, show it or or don't time. And the rest, the rest of this doesn't really excite me. It's one of those things. Like we keep saying now I'm going to be the one that says it, not you like bullpens are volatile. So I think we'll see what happens. I'm on the low end of expectations here, but like I was talking about with the entire team, it could break well and Estevez could have like 25 saves and, you know, put up 0.9 war and Matt Moore might be kind of the monster Andrew Miller type, like eighth, seventh guy that gets four or five outs at night, a night that they're winning three to two and need to hold the lead, like like the old school fireman from like the seventies, you know, especially because he's pitched a lot of innings before in the past. So we'll see what happens. I'm not, I'm pessimistic because I'm just seem to be very pessimistic about the angels overall, but it could break well because those two moves are pretty savvy and seem to be smarter than moves. The angels have made in the past where they just kind of <laughs> throw, you know, like Zach Cozart or something. No disrespect yeah. to Zach Cozart, but you know, yeah. that move is not very good. 
apologies if, if Zach or anyone in your family is listening to this. One, I question what you're doing with your life. Two, don't listen to us. Yeah, no, I, no, I agree. It, it was a very weird offseason in that instance. I mean, they still did something super dumb, which was not figure out what they're doing with Otani yet. So we can't necessarily let them completely off the hook. But yeah, I mean, they didn't go out and just like money whip some 32 year old or anything for no reason. So yeah, it was really interesting. The one thing that does give me incredible pause is Jimmy Herget in the back of the bullpen. I mean, he wasn't good. He wasn't good with the Rangers when he was in Arlington and he's kind of shorted up a little bit with the angels, but I don't know. I mean, besides his incredible stirrups, which I will always respect, I just don't really trust him throwing. Yeah. My blind spots are those middle relievers in the AL West, especially yeah. non Seattle and non Houston. I just like, that's a little disrespectful. I'll, I'll remember that when I'm, when I'm intentionally not watching the Mets play this year, I'm going to watch more Rangers this year. Don't worry. <laughs> especially Trump. Yes. Let's I, go. I got it. <laughs> um, all right. So we've talked a lot about the Angels. A lot of things going on. Probably talk too much time for a team that's more than likely cursed or going to end up with 74, 75 wins again. Um, that's, great, I, that's right. Yeah. I think that we both agree that this season for the Angels is going to come down to whether their offense can stay healthy. If it can, they have enough offensive firepower to cover any sort of issues that go on with the pitching staff, maybe not all issues, but certainly cover for some and also probably the bullpen as well. If they cannot stay healthy, then we're probably looking at a pretty tough watch this year. Having said that our over under game for the angels is will Anthony Rendon play 80.5 games over under, you know what I'm taking? Unfortunately, I like Anthony Rendon. He has tortured the Mets in the past, but unfortunately I have to go under Adam. I think he's going to play 116 games. I think he will have a, have a, a, an injury, but I think it will be something that freaks everyone out probably in April. So just long enough to where he starts off. Well, he gets hurt. Everyone freaks out again. Ends up just being like a three or four week thing, comes back, plays out the rest of the year just fine. Is it good content if I take the under live on on the air on on a, a betting app that I won't name because we don't give free clout on the show? Yeah, I think you should definitely. Uh, that, that's definitely good content. All right, I'm. I just. Uh, I'm putting. I'm putting down some some big bucks, aka three dollars. Let's go. All right, it's done. All right, time to talk about the A's, the ins. Jesus Aguiar, Jace Peterson, J.J. Boudet, Estoroy Ruiz, Ryan Noda, Manny Pena, Alebnis Diaz, Shintaro Fujinami, Drew Rysinski, Trevor May, Chad Smith, and then some minor league free agents that I was interested in, Tyler Wade, Kyle Miller, and Frankie Tarnock, who they got in the Sean Murphy trade. The outs, A.J. Puck, Sean Murphy, Vadimil Machin, which is just an excellent name. We hope he's doing well. Stephen Vogt, Chad Pinder, Joel Piamps, Cole Irvin, Jeff Croswell. That's a lot of stuff. They made a lot of moves. Let's start with the bad, uh, like we did with the Reds and the Royals. This team will not be very good. I especially want to note that only two players, unless Tyler Schroeder makes the opening day roster, were drafted by the A's in the projected starting uh, alignment, those 26 men that they will bring to don't know where their first game is. What is the outlook here? Like we can talk in the over under section about like big picture. Will they be in Oakland in the future? And sorry to A's fans listening to this. We will talk about that. But like, what do you 
what what's going on over there in the non like that the stadium is empty and that they might be moving division uh, this is a tough one it's gonna kind of be a lot like maybe the Rockies when we talked about them where it's like okay you had a backlog of generational type players maybe not even generational but you had a backlog of like legitimate like maybe all-star quality or above players you trade them all away and you're kind of left with not a whole lot to be super excited about I mean you obviously have guys you have Shea Langliers Christian Pache he's exciting Soderstrom, Waldichuk, Medina, JJ Bladé in the trade for AJ Puck. AJ, uh, is it Puck or Puke? Puck, I think. Probably Puke, based on the way he hasn't been able to stay healthy and yeah, yeah. very much. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's kind of that joke, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's kind of depressing in a sense i think that there's some things to watch and get excited for but there's not enough here and quite frankly there's not enough in the farm system right now to really get me going for like okay is this are we on the stage where we're watching the future iteration of the next playoff a's you know come to fruition and i don't think that it is you have some good players like i wanted Last year or a couple of years ago, whenever the Rangers traded Joey Gallo, Waldichuk was one of the throw-ins that I was kind of thinking about wanting to get because I really liked him. I still really like him, and I think he's a good option. But besides that, I mean, Blackburn is fine. Fujinami, well, we'll talk about him. Ruchinski, Caprellan, like, I'm just not really excited about that side of it. JJ Blade, I think you're just hoping to see him put it together a little bit. Shea, that's a reason to be excited enough. That's fine. Seth Brown, he's kind of getting old. Ramon Laureano, he's starting to get a little old too. And I don't think he's ever going to be a high, a super high quality outfielder. You're pretty much guaranteed he's going to get shaded at the deadline. Oh, yeah, he's gone. He's he's not going to be here next year. Like more than a million dollars. Get him out of here. <laughs> get him out of my sight. Yeah, right. Jace Peterson, Estuary Ruiz, like. I think he's fine. I think he's kind of exciting. Nick Allen, eh, he's okay. He's pretty good, but not great. I don't know. For me personally, there's just not a whole lot of optimism as I look at the A's. Yeah, it kind of sucks for a lot of reasons. Maybe some that we'll talk about later, but even more so than just the team, I, I just don't know where the optimism is this year. So I wanted to talk in a little bit of depth about the Japanese pitcher that they got, Shintaro Fujinami. I did some research on the interwebs and found that the max number of innings he's ever pitched in the last four years since 2019 is 107. He was moved to the bullpen by his team in some points because he was injured. Even in Japan, his uh, strikeouts per nine was about uh, one per inning, so 9.4. He might be a reliever, maybe a guy that goes two or three innings, but I think that they want him to be a starter, maybe a five and fly with a good split and slider. I have two for us to look at, and and folks can look this up on Fangraphs' site, the, the article about him. The strikeout to walk rate, it's kind of all over the map. So I wonder what you think the thought is here, especially because he's listed as the number two starter. So that is a little concerning. He's an interesting piece, but I don't know if he's someone that I'm like, like I am with Senga or I am with uh, Seiya Suzuki, where I'm like, okay, this Japanese player is in to get it done and be one of the most important players on the team. But I don't know. I guess it's the A's, so I don't know what to make of this. What do you think based on all of that long-ass Yeah, question? 
Yeah, no, like whenever you whenever you put that up there, I, I took a little bit to read about it. And quite honestly, he scares me. I know he wasn't a tremendously large investment. So I don't think that the A's are particularly concerned if he does implode. It's not like they spent 70 million on him or 50 million or anything like that. There's a little piece of me that thinks that this is kind of a flip candidate where the A's are hoping that they can give they can maybe pitching in in the Coliseum, especially on those cold nights where the ball doesn't go anywhere. Maybe you get him out to where he has a really, really good solid three months. Like, yeah, he's probably more than likely a back end guy, maybe a four or five if he's effective, if he remains effective. But with a good few months, maybe they can be talked into, which probably wouldn't be very hard of getting a prospect or two, maybe like a, I don't know, 45 grade and then a maybe a 50 grade and then a, a lottery ticket for him at the deadline. He's already about to be 29. They're not competing within the next few years, at least in my estimation. So he's not a long-term guy in Oakland. So part of me thinks that, the, hey, they just need someone to take some innings. They picked him up on the cheap, hope that he shows out decently enough and then can bring back some some more prospects. That's about how I feel about it. But to the chart that you shared and also the the stats that you shared, that's incredibly concerning long term. And especially over the course of a full season, I mean, even if he gives you five innings to start, you're still leaving like a third of the season on the table to reach his previous career high in innings. And so I, I don't. It, it'll be interesting to watch. I'm going to put it nice. It'll be interesting to watch and hopefully it works out the way that they want it to work out. But I'm curious to see what the plan is there. I'm now fascinated by this. So I will be watching his starts and seeing what happens. And I think <laughs> your theory is great because this is, I can't think of another Japanese player that was brought over on a one-year deal. So yeah. I think what you said was very pertinent and good. So good point. You're a smart man. Next question. <laughs> The only young position players on the roster I actually want to discuss are J.J. Bleday and actually Christian Pache. Pache is an amazing center fielder, and mm-hmm. Bleday comes over in the trade with Puck or Puke that we talked about. Uh, what do you <laughs> make of that move? We t- You touched on it a little bit, and what do you expect from these two? Pache is actually listed now as on the bench because he could not hit last year and might not be able to hit uh, big league pitching, So, but he's an amazing out athlete, so... I'm hoping he can figure it out, especially now that he's not on the Braves. Uh, to show my bias, but what do you think? <laughs> um, yeah, so so I'll talk about JJ first. We kind of talked about it with, when we uh, previewed the Marlins a little bit, and so to kind of echo some of the things that I said back then, it is a very interesting trade because both teams seemingly traded from a position of need with the other. And because the Marlins, you know, kind of still have a need in the outfield and the A's, as we can see from the picture that we just talked about being listed as our number two, they have a need in the pitching staff. And so it was very interesting in that context. But if you kind of look at look beyond just the surface, I mean, JJ, highly touted prospect, hasn't quite yet put it together for the big league club. AJ puke, gross, don't throw pitches here in my stadium. He had trouble staying healthy, has a kind of terrifying delivery, um, very violent, you know, kind of sidewindy, you know, a lot of injuries, had some trouble finding the strike zone. This to me feels just like a dual sided change of scenery trade. Like, hey, we have a former highly touted prospect who's not quite figuring it out. Hey, so do we. Maybe yours will work here and ours will work there. That that kind of to me almost pretty much quick notes the 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 discussions between the A's and the Marlins. So 
curious to see how that plays out. But yeah, that trade on a on a couple levels is pretty interesting. Christian Pache, he's been a favorite of mine in in out of the park for years. He was always one of the guys that I would trade for because his stats were just like disgusting. Could run, could feel, could field, could hit, and unlike computers, real life people sometimes don't do the things that you expect them to do. And he was the centerpiece for the him and Shea were the centerpiece. Shea came from so they they came over, I believe, in the in the Matt Olson trade. And Shea is another guy who I think is really exciting here. I think Shea is going to be really fun to watch as well. But but Pache, you kind of are just waiting for it to click with him. And it's unlike the others. It's not really a an injury thing, an attitude, anything out you know off the field. It's just can he start hitting? And if he starts hitting, this is a very valuable player and one that the A's will be more than happy to have. If he can't figure it out, you mentioned he's an elite center fielder. So I think he's going to be a guy that could probably stick around the league for a while, be a fourth outfielder, defensive replacement, maybe a maybe a platoon guy if he if he starts hitting certain handedness, you know, the right way. But yeah, I think I think those three players that I mentioned, JJ Shea and Christian, are going to be key if they think that there is a contention window on the horizon. So our over-under for the Oakland Athletics is talking about kind of the concerns we and I think all of baseball kind of have around a t- fan attendance, what's going to happen with the new stadium and all of that. So I jokingly set the un- over-under at 5,000 fans per game this season at the Oakland Coliseum. We looked to the ESPN attendance figures from last year. They're the only team reporting under 10,000 fans per game, and that's just tickets sold, not butts and seats. So Adam, what is uh, your thoughts on all of this sort of haze around the team, like potential relocation, the situation with the Coliseum kind of being, you know, cat infested and all of that. What do you, what do you say? Yeah. First let, let's talk about the over under real quick before we kind of get into the overarching feeling for that, for the athletics. Um, the fact that they reported average under 10,000, even with it being tickets sold, it's kind of surprising to me. I think MLB, by and large, is pretty protective of their attendance numbers, even though they know that throughout 162, unless you're coming off a World Series win or new ballpark or whatever the case may be, it's you're not expecting in most cases for most teams, you know, it to be a sellout every night or maybe even like 75% average for the whole season. So that was a little bit surprising for me. So branching off of that. There is that dichotomy between actual butts and seats and tickets sold. So I don't think that we'll get a true number unless we actually go there and count. But if we kind of put it at like, will the reported number average be under over under, say, 8000? I think I will take the over, but slightly and actual butts and seats, I would probably, I think 5,000 is a good number. Like I said, there's no way for us to check that, but I think it'd probably be roughly around there for, throughout the season. The series against the the Giants will probably be one of the big things that skews it in the positive. But I mean, the, the team should be so bad throughout the year that all the other games, like the other 75 or 78 games or whatever, will probably knock it down pretty far. Yeah, the... The big thing here is to think about like what the next steps are. Obviously, they're they're planning the new potential stadium and it's going through sort of the environmental review by the, the city council. To answer my own question here in the over-under sense, 
I do think it'll be about the same numbers as last year in terms of what's actually reported by the athletics and then also what the situation is. I don't see it improving. The only thing it might do is actually go down because they traded Sean Murphy and, you know, they, other than so Tyler Soderstrom, they don't really have a ton of prospects coming up unless some of these pitchers they've gotten in these trades, like Frankie Tarnock and all those guys come out, but that's not like marquee, like, Oh, Steven Strauss is making his debut level of prospect. That's going to really bring in uh, the hundreds, if not thousands of fans, you know? Uh, so I don't really see it improving that much, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I think from a certain perspective, you look at JJ Lede. Christian Pache, Shay Langliers, Tyler Soderstrom, maybe, you know, the the pitcher from from Japan, Fujinami. I mean, there's some intrigue in watching this team, but I think the overall feeling for a lot of reasons is pretty negative. And when they're sitting there 20 games, 25 games, you know, out of first place and at the trade deadline, like there's not going to be a whole lot of push for fan engagement. And that kind of takes us to the other part of this, which we won't try not to spend too much time on it, but it's a really delicate issue for me because a lot of the things from the city and the residents of the area, I don't necessarily disagree. The environmental component aspect of it, not too much of a problem here, not wanting to have a publicly funded stadium, not too much of a problem here. But for me personally, so much of like, my childhood memories, my core foundational memories of watching baseball as a kid with my team being in the AL West is built upon staying up late night when my team was on the West Coast, playing in Oakland, staying up till midnight, watching them when there was no one in the stands. They were often beating us anyway. It was quiet, kind of dark. You know, it was perfect, like late summer, all your friends are asleep, you know, put this on in the in the bedroom or whatever and go to sleep too. And so like, it's really weird thinking of them moving for me personally, but this is kind of what the A's are. Like they are to, for lack of a better term, kind of MLB's nomadic team spent a good chunk of time in Philadelphia, spent a good chunk of time in Kansas city, spent a long time in Oakland, but this will potentially now be their third relocation in their history. And so it's kind of what they do, but I feel worse for the fans who aren't disinterested because I actually consider A's fans to be some of the best in baseball. Complete disrespect to the Cardinals, like actually like good fans, but they're just so disengaged and just so tired of bad products, not spending money, terrible stadium, so many aspects of the organization that they're just tired of showing up. And I don't fault them for that. But I don't think that the fault should be laid on the fans for the reason why they're probably going to move. It's on the organization. And so I'm really conflicted internally. What's best for baseball? What's best for Oakland? What's best for the fans? Because I think all those have three have, have different answers. But I feel the worst for the fans. Yeah. And I think the current setup is is, is unsavory, especially because there's so much lack of clarity on what's going on. And it also a lot of what it represents, too, with you know, the Warriors moving over to the Bay to San Francisco and the Raiders being moved to Vegas. And, you know, who knows where they're going to move the, the A's, but we'll see what happens and hoping that they, that they can find a place to stay in Oakland. I mean, they're trying to push this route in Oakland and they're actually pretty good in the community in a lot of ways, you know, the A's foundation and whatnot does a lot of good, good work. And, you know, A's fans, as I, I totally agree with you, they're, they're super diehard there. They seem very, they're, they, they seem like kindred spirits with Met fans, you know, 
So I, I vibe with that. Cool. I think that that's all, that's all we can say on that, you know, hope for the best for them. And we yeah, can exactly. On. All right. Moving on to the team that y'all don't know this on the backside, but that we're, this is actually the second part that second recording session for this podcast, because I don't think God likes anyone or especially me talking about Texas the Texas Rangers. Definitely doesn't like the Texas Rangers. No. Yeah, definitely does not. We all we have to do is point to 2011 and know they don't talk. No, he doesn't like the Rangers. <laughs> like like two of the years that whoever won the All Star Game decided home field advantage, of course. And two of the years that the American League lost were the two years that the Rangers made it. And so even though both years they had a better record than the National League team, they had to be the the road team for the first two games of the series anyway i'm not bitter um on the inside we have of course jacob de rip rip to you i think I've personally heard, i've heard of him yeah you've, you've heard of him a couple of times maybe not as much as you wanted to lately but definitely heard of him wow <laughs> andrew haney nathan Ivaldi, jacob odorizzi and Robbie Grossman uh, here just a couple weeks ago. And on the outside, uh, someone we talked about a little bit earlier, Matt Moore. So first up, holy free agency, Batman. A year after spending over $500 million in free agency, addressing holes in the middle of the infield, some starting pitching options, they returned again with vigor to address the starting rotation. They acquired five starting pitchers this offseason. And that's not even including the two that are kind of penciled in this year, if you count, you know, on both sides, Martin Perez. This feels overall like a very hit or miss rotation. With health, it could legitimately be a top 10 unit. Without, it could be pretty rough. What was your reaction to all of the signings? And what is the outlook for the starting pitching? I really like what they did here. I think they went big. And it's, it's one of those, like exactly what you were kind of suggesting the high risk, high reward, especially with DeGrom, you know, that it's been a tough couple of seasons for him health wise, but not when he's on the mound. I mean, when he's on the mound, he's elite. So it's one of those things where you're hoping it stays together. And they also locked up Martin Perez, which I thought was a very savvy move. Um, He's clearly turned the corner in those years in Boston where he was not very good, but now he's kind of picked it up. So it's a totally free agent starting pitching staff with, I think who's, who's the kind of the bolt, like the Dane Dunning and Glenn Otto. Yeah. Those are the two guys and Spencer Howard too, who Mm -hmm. they got all in all those trades when they were kind of rebuilding and resetting. So now you can kind of make, depending on what they end up have, what ends up happening health wise, you can make one or two of those guys into bullpen pieces potentially. Oh yeah. Question mark. And you have Jack Leiter waiting in the wings as well. He's only 22. So you got to wait for him for a little while longer. But in terms of what they've done here this offseason, I really like it. I think having two lefties is a, is a big deal. Having guys that know how to pitch in big games and have been kind of the guy in their rotation before. I think you could argue that all five of them have served that role at one point. Now, whether they were like an ace on the staff that they were the number one of, that's a different conversation. But especially if Andrew Heaney continues to show what he showed um, the last couple of years, especially with the Dodgers, I mean, that's one of those magic bean sort of guys. We talked about Tyler Anderson too, in that kind of realm as well. But all that is to say, I think, I think they've done a lot of nice stuff here, especially with the rotation. Uh, I don't, I don't want to shortchange Robbie Grossman. I think he's an interesting character here. He was in kind of a weird spot um, with when he came over, when he went over to the Braves where he was like only hitting against uh, one, one side of the plate and he was 
kind of dominant against that side. And now he'll be expected to play basically every day again and play a little bit of left, maybe a little DH, depending on how they align this. So that's another interesting signing too. The roster resource has Clint Frazier listed as the, the last guy on the bench. And he was a minor league free agent. So that, that'll be interesting to see if that's who that ends up being. Cause you know, they don't have some of those, those guys that have uh, filled the back of the bench, like Nick Solak and uh, some of those kind of guys are gone. So it's going to be interesting to see how they finished up that part of the roster. Yeah. I thought that was interesting too, when I was looking at it, because if you want my perspective up on it, it's not going to be Clint Frazier more than likely he may snag a bench roll but i would think more than likely zeke duran is probably getting one of those spots because he's a natural third baseman he's been playing in left field this spring he played some left field last year the only thing that he doesn't necessarily solve for is that robbie grossman just annihilates lefties and zeke is a right-handed hitter so that's kind of you know redundant yeah yeah it's it's redundant and and same thing with clint frazier as well so i'm curious to see how that goes I think as it stands right now, you have both Jake Odorizzi and Dane Dunning probably as swingman types because I think the five goes DeGrom, probably Gray, then some combination of Haney, Eovaldi, and Perez to to round it out. And yeah, last year was so fun for, for me personally because Perez came up with the Rangers. He spent his first, I think, five years there. Then went on went off to Minnesota and then to Boston. And then he came came back home and he had the best year of his career. So I've always really liked him. Um, he never hit the Johan Santana comps that was put on him as a prospect. Um, but I mean, he had a... He had a quite quite a year last year, so hopefully that continues. After being one of the league's worst offenses in, offenses in 2021, they were about middle of the pack last year. Obviously, we mentioned that they addressed you know some some lineup issues with signing Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, a big breakout from Nate Lowe last year. The biggest problem they face, however, now is getting on base. The projections are pretty unkind as far as on-base percentage throughout most of the lineup. But with some progression from their top prospect, Josh Young, replacing a black hole at third, getting literally anything out of Robbie Grossman to replace a black hole in left field, Mitch Garver maybe staying healthy, maybe DHing 80 games more than he played last year. Is there some reason for optimism with this lineup? And could it be slightly better than middle of the pack? I think you expect what you expect from Simeon and and Seager that they'll be kind of what's anticipated in my view, two guys you didn't mention are actually who I would focus in on. Uh, You briefly mentioned Nate Lowe who had a great year last year. If he provides that power from the left side in that middle of the order, I think that that's a huge deal. And another guy who seems to either be great one year and not so great. The other year is Adolis Garcia. He had that one awesome year and then was, he was pretty terrible last year, wasn't he? No, he was actually pretty good. He was he was better last year than he was the year before. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I so two years ago, he started off insanely hot, made the all-star game. And then his second half, I think his OPS was like 600. And so I was actually on team trade him because he was yeah. riding pretty high off of a collectively good yeah. year. Even I thought the that second. they were gonna trade him too. Yeah. And I still I still don't trust him a ton. He strikes out a ton. He, he doesn't out so much. I'm yeah, he doesn't that. get on base a lot. But when he makes contact, it's usually hard. And he did progress last year. Now he's not young. He's I think he's 
29, yeah. yeah, 30, something like that. So, I mean, I don't know how much more you can project out of him. So maybe this is who he is, uh, high power, you know, run producer, but doesn't get on base very often or put the ball in play very often. I mean, and you can, you can live with that, especially if you have a Corey Seager type, a Nate Lowe type, you know, people who put the ball in play pretty often around him. But yeah, I had a feeling you were going to mention him. And even now after two years, caveat with the second half of 2021 aside of pretty good to good production, I still don't trust him. I just think that this lineup is kind of missing that top of the order table setter, AKA they probably would have really loved to have signed like Brandon Nimmo. That's why Brandon Nimmo would have been such a great fit for this team. And I I'm wanted very, him all off season, yeah, all I'm very off season. Happy that's a non on the, the Rangers personally, yeah. selfishly, but it would have <laughs> been a great fit. And so it's going to be interesting to see if they align it the way that it is here in the roster resource if you're following along at home and has Simeon listed as the leadoff hitter, which is interesting, but it feels like, especially with the bigger bases, it would mm -hmm. be nice to have a guy that could steal some bags here at the top of the lineup. And I don't know if Simeon's going to be running that much. I think he wants to stay healthy. So uh, I think that this will be a good offense, especially if everybody stays healthy, but I just to reiterate, I really think that it really demands Nate Lowe and Adolis Garcia to be kind of, guys in the middle of the order and expecting what you can expect from Simeon and Seeker and Jonah Heim hitting some homers and Robbie Grossman raking against lefties. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, I think it's going to be good. And it's nice to have kind of the platoon of Miller and Garver. So Miller doesn't have to face lefties because that's ugly and same for Garver against righties. It's pretty, pretty, pretty ugly. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree with you. I, I think the I, I agree the key is low and Garcia as they go that bolsters that bolsters the lineup more than what you expect from others. And if they sink or or regress, then it can look pretty dire. And your other point, you're spot on too. Like there's so many you know permutations of this lineup that you can create, and there's not a leadoff quote unquote guy. In fact, it's funny last year that Corey Seager batting in the two hole was significantly worse than when he batted in the three hole. And huh. so being able to slide them and him specifically down, I think would be a major key with right. the, with the new rules. I think Leody Tavares has a chance to maybe be in that leadoff role because he does put the ball in play. He doesn't have a ton of pop, but he's very fast, steals bases. And, you know, with the lack of shift, I think that there could be some options there, but He's a young player, so I, I think they'd probably stick with more to how it is now and then maybe adjust on the fly. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. All right, prospect time. Perhaps probably the best farm system in the AOS and a consent, consensus top 10 system in all of baseball. The Rangers have done a great job with some smart trades and good drafts over recent years, and they're starting to see the fruits of their labor. While they primarily filled holes on the Major League Club with free agency, there are a lot of starter quality prospects that are nearing the doorstep. Were you surprised that they are able to, to address key needs while retaining essentially all of their top guys? Well, they just spent, right? Instead yeah. of making trades. And they were savvy, like you already mentioned, in some of the trades that they made the past couple of years, wherein they didn't give up their top, top guys and they got back some capital back. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe, maybe Spencer Howard isn't going to be what everybody thought he's going to be, for example. But if you could turn a guy like that into either fifth starter or like a, like a seventh inning guy that I think that that is something, you know? So, but yeah, we can talk through kind of their, their top five guys. I know a lot about two of them and you can cover the other ones. 
Yeah, of course. And, and and yeah, I agree. I think one of the biggest ones was the Joey Gallo trade. They got Zeke Duran, yeah. Josh Smith, uh, uh, Glenn Otto, just from that one. And then obviously you've seen what's happened to Gallo ever since he left. Um, a couple of trades with the A's actually got them back. Jonah Heim, uh, Dustin Harris. Um, I mean, some some pretty good good dudes there. But like you kind of alluded to, I had a follow-up question. Which of their big five minor league starters will have the best major league career? And I have them listed out uh on one of the rankings obviously some other rankings disagree but you but basically it's owen white who is one of the highest rising prospects in all of baseball went from basically essentially off the radar due to injuries to being in the top half of the top 100 in a lot Run his stats last year just like obscene his stats last year were, were pretty good. He had a little bit of injury, but I mean, when he was in high A, he was disgusting. And then he went to double A towards the end. And he was, you know, he got, he got spent some time on the shelf because he got hit with a comebacker and spent some time on the shelf. And then he, after that, after that, he was pretty nails in double A. So he's starting there this year. Jack Leiter, obviously he has all the pedigree. Didn't have a tremendous year last year, but obviously coming out of college and going straight to double A, that's pretty tough. Kumar Rocker, we know all the backstory there, especially between our two teams. Yep. Cole, Wynn, Cole Wynn, another guy who had Tommy John surgery, was a monster for two years. Had a bit of a down year last year, walked more people than he ever has, but he is still only somehow 20, I think this is his age 23 year. And then Brock Porter was a recent draftee. He was a first round high school talent slipped to the fourth round where the Rangers basically went over slot to sign him. And he's the guy who last year in high school who had the insane stats. I think he had like 50 innings pitched and gave up like 12 hits and struck out like a hundred. Like it was just absolutely insane. So the question is who will have the best major league career? Is yeah. it? I think in my view, from what I know about these guys, I think it'll be Jack later. I know that he enters in double a, it's a tough transition old like going from facing 18 year olds to facing you know 26 27 year olds guys maybe that were in trip have been in triple a in the past that's kind of a big a big step so and guys who know how to deal with spin right so it's it's one of those things where they say that the the jump from high a to double a is where really that that changes for pitchers so that's a big step to kind of and it shows you what they are expecting from him that they want him both to be challenged early and also to kind of to kind of come up pretty soon so I, I would expect him because of his pedigree and his college ability and, you know, pitching in the SEC is no joke, but, you know, getting into the, the double A, triple A sort of realm, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting to see what he can do this year. I think that's who I would bank on because of pedigree. I'm actually going to disagree. I'm going to go with Owen White just because he has, he has the better body in my opinion to be more effective longer. Now he's had some injuries but most of those were freak. One of those, he broke his hand whenever in the first start of the year, two years ago, when he got mad because he made an error and he punched the ground. <laughs> I think but, I did see that actually. Yeah. But I mean, he's just an absolute bulldog on the mound with great stuff, but all right, I'm going to skip the last one just in the sake of time. Um, the Rangers have made a bunch of moves over the last couple of years to accelerate their path to contention. A lot of people see 2023 as the year before truly contending prior to the free agency signings. Now that we sit here in March, what do you think success is for the 2023 Rangers? I think having one of those years, like the year before Cleveland went to the World Series against the Cubs, 
where, I mean, I can check the record on that. Maybe they were better than I remember, but like you show signs and you have young players that step up, especially for the Rangers. Like we've already been talking about, if they could find a guy to be the leadoff hitter, if it's layer, these Tavares or it's one of these bench guys or someone in AAA, a non-roster invitee, someone like that, that can step into that role and be the table setter. And if everybody stays healthy, I think that that's, that's huge for this team too, especially the pitchers. Cause there's always a fear that DeGrom, he's going to have a 1.5 ERA through 10 starts and then he'll get injured. I mean, that's just what it has been. It was with the Mets for the last couple of years and brings me great, great, uh, great anguish to report that. <laughs> um, to the listeners but yeah i think that it's going to be an interesting team i don't know about this bullpen that's a little frightening jose leclerc in a high leverage role is a little concerning but you know what yeah. that's something that if you're in a spot where you're competing with the astros and the mariners for or in that wild card chase you can you can add there pretty mm-hmm. pretty easily but it'll be inter- it'll be uh cool to see especially i'm interested to see if any of these kind of guys that are now pushed into the triple a rotation become like a seventh eighth inning guy like glenn otto or or spencer howard like i've already alluded to i think that that would be a really interesting move i don't know what how they're being used in spring so far but that would intrigue me so all that is to say i think that they'll be in kind of in the middle of the pack um maybe around like around 500 and i think that especially if everybody stays healthy they can they can show it up and i think that they're going to be a popular pick like the padres were the last couple of years you know not Mm -hmm. expecting them to be like the Padres this year but kind of thinking in that realm of like okay this is a fun team that's in a division where there's normally one team that's kind of beating everybody up and it happens to be the team in the same state so yeah I think that's that's where I kind of land on this no I I I pretty much agree with most of that yeah to your point this reminds me a lot of the 2009 year or I think that's what a lot of people are looking at it where they didn't quite make the playoffs but they won 87 games and then that propelled them into two straight world series appearances and another thing real quick before we move into the over-under is we talked about they still have their entire farm system. So if they need to make trades, you know, in the middle of the year, they have plenty of ammo to do so. Yep. Um, over-under for the Rangers, 0.5 playoff games played. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think that there are two teams in this division that are clearly better than them and two teams in this division, in my opinion, as I keep saying, or that are clearly worse than them. So I think that they're right in the middle of the pack in division. Obviously they're playing less divisional games now and they'll be able to play the central a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think that overall playing some of the teams like the, in the AL East and, you know, some of the national league teams they'll play, I think that they'll fall short of the playoffs. I have to do this. Um, I'm going to take the over. Oh, you're going for it. Good. Yep. I'm I'm going to say they're the last team in. Okay. So they're going to make the playoffs and still not be able to play a home game, a home playoff game at their ballpark. So it'll continue the streak that the only playoff games played in the ball in the new ballpark are by other teams. Amazing. We love that. All right. Houston Astros in Jose Abreu. That's it. Out. <laughs> Justin Verlander, Jason Castro, Trey Mancini. Josh James, Yuli Gurriel, Christian Vasquez, Alumnus Diaz, and Will Smith, who actually signed with the Rangers. Mm-hmm. So my first question is about the rotation. I have no Granky, no Cole, no Verlander, no problem. I think that that's a catchy tagline. The Astros <laughs> have developed so many great young starting pitchers to the point where Jose Arquiz is listed as the fourth starter, which I think is just insane. Do you think this will work out? And uh, caveat is the fifth starter listed on the roster resource, our, our home dogs that we're using for this, is Hunter Brown. But we'll see. Maybe it's Foster Whitley. 
Parsons. No, no, it's not going to be Forrest Whitley. Hunter Brown's disgusting. He came Hunter up last Brown. year for a couple of starts and was just insane. He's, and he's just, really good. Yeah, and just continuing. I mean, I think Hunter Brown's probably better than two of the pitchers in the rotation right now. And the rotation's one of the top two, top three in, in all of the American League. Like, just looking at it, it's it's horrifying. Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy, uh, Hunter Brown, they're all under the age of 30. Outside of Framber, they're all under the age of 28. Like, <clears throat> it's insane how they just pump these guys out year after year. And, yeah, they no, no longer have Grinky, Cole, and Verlander, but, okay, now they have 95% of that in the rotation right now that, Frank, for much cheaper. <laughs> I, I don't think that they're going to face much of a problem, both in the AL West and also, obviously, with the playoff push. I think, again, they're probably – at this point, the best team in the American League. I'm going to say that with 80% confidence because I think the only team that is legitimately probably better than them top to bottom, and this may surprise some people, is actually the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, I really want them to do like a 30 for 30 sort of thing with the international scouts that found these four guys, Valdez, Javier, Garcia, and Urquidy. I mean, I think Javier is like one of the most underrated players in, in baseball. It's crazy. He's on a great team. He puts up great stats and it doesn't seem like he gets the love to me at least. So I, I think, I think this will work. I think um, especially if Hunter Brown is as filthy as he looked towards the end of the year, like you were mentioning, it's going to, it's going to be really, really exciting staff for Houston fans. So my second question is about the only uh, free agent that they signed. I think Jose Abreu coming in to basically replace Yuli Gurriel, one Cuban uh, first baseman for another, is intriguing. He's 36 now, sure, but I think his right-handed power and his great beard, you know, the little that he sometimes puts a little uh, little rubber band in there, I think that that's yeah. going to be great. Um, he's also their only – I want to ask, too, about him being the only free agent signing. It seems really like, especially in the rotation, that they're banking on all these young players and some of the guys that we can talk about, you know, in the, uh, in the outfield and, and in the infield. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he was, I mean, he's their only free agent signing. Cause I think that's only the, the only real hole that they have. Like we'll talk about it a little bit more, but I mean, we can talk about Martin Maldonado and Chaz McCormick, but I mean, I was looking at actually, actually the other day I was looking at the free agent center fielder list and outside of like Nemo and maybe one other, there's a lot of pillow deal guys um, like Cody Bellinger. It was guy coming off of injury, like Kevin Kiermeyer. Like there wasn't a legitimate, like, let's go get this center fielder. Let's just stick with what we have. I mean, look at the top six of our lineup, like who cares, right? Look at our pitching staff, who cares? So I don't think that it was necessarily weird that there's that it was their only free agent signing, but it was a good one. I mean, you're not expecting Jose Abreu to come in and be the guy on the team, not even probably the third best guy in your lineup. So with reasonable expectations, I mean, I think it was a, it was a great signing. He's going to give them something that they needed because Yuli Gurriel last year was not good. And so if he gives you a, I don't know, 90% of a normal Jose Abreu year, like that's a significant improvement in that spot in the lineup. Yeah, I totally agree. I definitely don't think he'll be the elite player he was like the 2020 season where he was awesome during the pandemic. But I think that he brings a steadiness to the lineup and a veteran leadership and et cetera, et cetera. Probably knows all these guys really well. I would assume seem, seems like that the type of like vibe that they that they would build together. I'm sure that they're already getting on in, in spring training. So I want to ask about Forrest Willie. I know I already brought him up, but he's 25 now and it's taken a lot of time for him with injuries and whatnot. 
and you seem to agree with the consensus that it'll definitely be Hunter Brown in the fifth spot, but we can talk about him a little more if you want, but we can just say that he's nasty and that he'll get the job. And if you want to talk about Whitley. Yeah, I, I think Hunter Brown is already far and away, you know, going to be the, the guy at the back end of the rotation for two reasons. One, because he's better. And two, because he's actually made it. And that's the problem with Forrest is he was a an incredibly highly touted prospect for years. It seems like he's been like in their top 10, not anymore, but for a while, it seems like he was in the top 10, like their top prospect or top two or three or whatever for like five or six years. And just injuries, injuries, ineffectiveness, injuries, injuries, changing his his mechanics, injuries, injuries, injuries. At this point, I think for him, a six, as for him, success is just making the big league club now in any capacity. And I mean, he's had some some issues as well that aren't necessarily related to to on the field stuff, too. So, I mean. I, like I said, I think success for him is just making the big league roster. He has talent. How much of that he still has, I don't know, because he's just been hurt so many times. In my mind, and I'm relatively you know, familiar with the Astros because we play them more than any other team, at least historically in the AL, I just don't, I, I don't see him so much in the future plans as a cornerstone foundational piece continuing or extending the window or anything like that he's if he makes it great if he doesn't he's been hurt for the last four years like what else were we going to expect right they were able to win a world series without mark appel working out and without they working out it's pretty insane especially with the the quality and depth of the signings from latin america that they've made Uh, i want to focus on a couple of youngsters we started to talk about that they're kind of banking on instead of going for free agents especially Jeremy Pena, who they kind of entrusted to take over for Carlos Correa. And in a lot of ways, it worked out really well. And I also want to ask about kind of the center field situation. Chaz McCormick seems to be kind of the the guy that's going to be entrusted to that role. And he's got speed and a little bit of power and that skill set you could dream on. So what do you expect, especially from these two guys? We could talk about a few others as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, real quick, you mentioned one guy that I, I have a really funny, or I guess not funny, but one of my favorite, I guess, baseball conspiracies is Jordan Alvarez. And I, I will get it, we'll get to Chaz McCormick and Jeremy Pena real quick. But you remember back then in one of their many front office scandals down there in Houston, they docked their international signing and basically were like, you cannot sign anyone this year. My, and other people share this as well, but my conspiracy is that how this went down is they basically said, okay, cool go sign with the Dodgers. They had a handshake agreement with the Dodgers that they would sign him, bring him in and then trade him to the Astros basically to fulfill, you know, the agreement that was already in place. And so they traded, I think in that trade, it was like some nothing burger for Jordan Josh, Alvarez. Josh Fields. Yeah. Josh Fields. And two things. One, of course it works out for the Astros and two, how mad do you think that the Dodgers are that they agreed to that <laughs> and didn't just keep them? <laughs> no, but they were like, now nah, we're good. Yeah. Now, on to Chaz McCormick and Jeremy Pena. Jeremy Pena started off the year really hot last year, and he kind of tapered off towards the end. I mean, going from going from uh, Carlos Correa to Jeremy Pena is kind of unfair, kind of like how they've done a lot of things. Like Now, he fell off pretty hard towards the end of last year, but, I mean, it, he was, it was a rookie year, so I, whatever that happens. He's got a ton of talent. He's... <laughs> 
not expected to be one of the top six or maybe even seven hitters, you know, in the lineup, you know, maybe, maybe top six, but it's not like they're putting their, their hopes and dreams on his shoulders. So like he has time to develop and if he sucks, who cares? They're still going to win probably a hundred games anyway, but, but he's pretty disgusting. Chaz McCormick. I'm a little less excited about him. He reminds me a lot of Eli white to a degree, maybe even DJ Peters where there is some pop there. He's a great defensive outfielder. He has speed. Can he hit the ball? Like that's that's the overarching question. Like, can he utilize that power by putting the ball in play? And that remains to be seen. But in the context of this roster construction, it kind of doesn't matter. If he has a 600 OPS, who cares? Like they'll be fine. And so I think that's really like the only question mark for this team is like, Hey, hopefully they turn the corner and take the next step or in, in Pena's, uh, uh, as far as Pena's concerned, maybe he takes the next step and becomes one of the better shortstops in the AL. Maybe Chaz McCormick becomes an everyday center field starter, you know, above league average. If that happens, this team is even more disgusting. If neither of those things happen, it doesn't matter. If one of those things happen, then it, it's a good outcome. So I I'm going into the year expecting more from Pena, less from McCormick, but Ultimately, I don't think it really matters much, at least from my perspective. Also to throw in that they have prioritized defense in certain spots. You got Martin Maldonado, who's a 209 career hitter as your everyday catcher. You know, they got Vasquez last year, but they've opted to kind of just go with uh, their first round pick from 2019. Corey as the backup. So it's going to mm-hmm. be intriguing to see how much run Lee gets. And if Maldonado is who the pitchers prefer to throw to, that's who they prefer to throw to, right? So yep. See what happens. My over-under is for us to talk about Alex Bregman. He had two eight-plus war seasons, 2017 and 2018. It looked like he was on pace to be a top five, top four player in the sport. Then in 2020, he didn't play very much, and then he had injuries. So combined 3.3 war in 133 games in 2020 and 2021. Last year, he had five and a half war. Do you think that we should expect a little more than that? And I put the over-under at about what he did last year. 5.55 fan graphs war. What do you expect from him? It's been interesting. So his walk rate was pretty much in line. He had the lowest K percentage of his career last year. He His ISO was not the lowest he's ever had, but not close to the highest he's ever had. His his BABIP was pretty well below league average is, in, is 260. He had the second worst average of his career. I mean, it, it's interesting. I don't think he's falling off. I mean, he's still young. He's going into his age, well, young-ish. He's going into his age 29 season. Still an incredible defensive third baseman, which as you probably expect because he was a shortstop, you know, all through college. So it, that has been one of the more interesting kind of subplots. Like he's still a very, very valuable and productive player. I mean, five wars, nothing to sneeze at. The couple years before he was kind of hurt and injured, didn't play a whole lot like that happens, whatever. But he's always been valuable. So I think it's like it's it's like finding nits to pick. You know, it's like, oh, no, Bregman's not far and away the best third baseman in the American League anymore. Like, OK, maybe that's maybe that's so, but he's still a good player. I expect him to probably exceed 5.55 just because, I mean, if he if he stays healthy, he's good enough to do that. Also, another thing to take into account, too, is he has the short porch. He's not a guy with tremendous power. I mean, he's not a he doesn't hit the ball 440. He hits a lot of home runs, but but it's, he, he kind of reminds me of like Garrett Anderson or even Rafael Palmero, guys who didn't have a ton of power, but like he's a double hitter. 
Yeah. He's a doubles hitter, but his fly balls, his home runs carry just out. Like they, they land in the third row where Giancarlo Stanton's hitting, you know, the yeah. Whataburger down the street. <laughs> um, And so like the change in the baseball, I think affected him more so than a lot of other hitters because he doesn't have that reserve to like, Oh no, I barely miss it. It's now 10 rows deep. If he misses it, it's, maybe at the warning track, maybe off the wall. So I think I think that probably affected him more than than most, especially when he was going from hitting 30 and 40 home runs. Now they changed the ball and he's hit 6, 12, and 23. So I think he's still going to be productive. Is he ever going to have an eight-war season again? Probably not. He's getting close, close to the decline phase. He's not quite there yet, probably another year or two away. But I mean, yeah, I think he'll probably, I think, I think he'll exceed that, but I, I wouldn't expect for him to exceed it by a large degree. Yeah. I think, I think I totally agree with basically everything you said, especially the part about him being a doubles hitter and that that's his style of hitting. Um, I do think that he's a good third baseman, so that helps him out. So I do think he'll go over this number and be a solid, consistent contributor in the middle of this really good lineup because Jordan Alvarez is not human, and uh, we expect a lot from from uh, Altuve, who we don't have to talk about any more than that. And uh, Michael Brantley is uh, old but still very good. Just sprays line drives all over the field, at least when he's healthy. Like somebody's dad out there, you know. <laughs> he, he, he's he's like the dad on like the the company or like. A youth group slow pitch softball team who like can't hit the ball further than 200 feet anymore, but just hits line drives right over the shortstop every time. But he still hits <laughs> 400 in the beer league. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll have to do like a top 10 dads list, like our dad energy list. Yeah, top top 10, top 10 senior league softball bat, uh, hitting profile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Jeff yeah. McNeil was at the top of that list, actually, because he hits so many balls the other way. <laughs> I know who's not going to be on it. I know who's not going to be on it. Joey Gallo. No. <laughs> Too many strikeouts no. for slow pitch. No. And then lastly, we have our, our our divisional finish game. So basically what this is, is we guess what the final standings will be in terms of team finish, not necessarily what the records are going to be. Five points if you get first place right. Four points if you get second, so on and so forth. Stuart, how do you think the 2023 AL West will finish? Well, I wish it was Hat. I think that kind of could be fine. I'm, I'm going to go Astros division win, number one, Mariners second, and then we'll say Angels in third, Rangers fourth, A's fifth. I want you to know that that hurt me a little bit uh, physically. <clears throat> and emotionally, and I completely agree. An asshat finish is all that this division needs, and would be an incredible story if the if these A's ended up winning the division. <laughs> that would be fun. All right, so I'm gonna go next. I will go Astros, Mariners, Texas Rangers, Angels, and A's. Interesting. As for me, I'm going to go Astros. Do it. Rangers. Mariners, Angels, A's. And with that, we have wrapped up not only the AL West, but also our season divisional previews. Thank you for taking this journey with us next week. It'll be quite a different show. We'll be getting into some college baseball, some world baseball classic, some spring training, just everything is out there and ready for us to talk about. So we're very excited to bring that to you next week. Hopefully 
uh, hopefully the the deity, whichever one it is that lives upstairs, doesn't decide to nuke my my internet again, and so we'll get it out on time. Um, but with that, for myself, Adam, and my my best friend Andrew, I want to thank you so much, and we will see you next week. Spectrum, don't screw us over next week.